Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 94. Today is also the start of the week that my book is officially out in the world, for Australia and New Zealand anyway, and in a month's time you'll be able to get it in Europe. Um, uh, and uh, a month after that, you'll be able to get it in the US by uh, Amazon.com. So it's all happening. The rollout started. It's been amazing seeing people's messages. A few Aussies are already starting to receive their pre-orders. I had a crazy time at Booktopia Books um, signing a thousand copies of the book, and we had this production line going. Uh, it was it was just mental. I'm just I don't know if you can hear how much I'm smiling right now now, but the support that I feel from everybody sending messages and sharing their pictures already is, uh, is something I actually cannot put into words. So I want to say thank you so much. I feel very grateful, very, very lucky to be able to share this book with you and the world. And I can't wait to see where it takes us. Now, um, we have a new month ahead, so obviously that means a wonderful new show supporter. And this month we have for the whole month the Rosehip Specialists with their gorgeous Rosehip Plus range. And you would have heard me talk about this one a couple of years ago, actually. And it's something I feature in all of our courses. I really love the range. Rosehip uh, oil is packed with essential fatty acids and, um, and vitamins and antioxidants. So it's a really wonderful oil to bring into the mix of either your DIY projects for your face and body, uh, or, um, just as a product on its own to, to use before putting on a cream, uh, or while you're having a bath for a bit of an extra hydrating kick. It's wonderful for plumping up the skin, fantastic on, um, hydration if you're lacking in your essential fatty acids. So, Wrinkles often come from a lack of essential fatty acids and fine feathery lines often come from a lack of water. Um, so that's where things like really light, um, very high water serums and things can be really great for you. But if you're finding you're not loving at just how many wrinkles you've got, um, even though wrinkles are a privilege and a joy and it means we're getting older and I'm a huge proponent for that message. At the same time, uh, there's nothing wrong with healthy aging and feeling and looking our best as we age and, um, and adding something that has such a rich intensity of omega, um, three, six and nine fatty acids, um, essential fatty acids rather is, uh, is just always a good idea. And I really like mixing up my own serum. You will see it in the book with, um, a couple of different drops of various essential oils, copaiba and frankincense being two of my favorites uh, from the young living range to do that with. Um, but as long as your essential oils are pure and you've done your research, you know, use whatever you feel comfortable with out there. But, um, that's, that's what I use. And I've got the recipes for those in the book. Um, and you have 40% off for the whole month. So that's pretty crazy. I've got all the details in the show notes and, um, all you have to do is click through and place your order and you get nearly, I mean, it's nearly half price, right? So uh, that's a hugely generous offer that they've given us for the month of July. If you don't have rosehip oil in the mix of what you use at the moment, it's definitely worth trying, especially if you're 30 plus and, um, and I look forward to seeing how you go with it because we've got um, the Rosehip Specialist with us for a month. We'll be able to have a chat. Please leave a comment in the show notes if you've tried it and loved it. 
sometimes I just take that with me if I'm just going away for a couple of days because you can use it as an eye makeup remover and a moisturizer all in one go. So it's kind of a bit of a multi-purpose situation there. Um, enjoy. Now, a couple more little things to mention. We have, uh, of course, the Patreon community that is building all the time now, having some fantastic discussions. We just wrapped up our financial detox inspired by the wonderful Melissa Brown, who was um, a few shows ago talking about how um, the money conversation fits into our low-tox life. And the Patreon community is basically a club where we bring these topics to life. We set ourselves some challenges. We have buy, swap, sell threads. Um, we have some special offers from wonderful brands who put on things just for club members. And you can nominate how much you pay per month to support the work that we do with the podcast and also to join us as a member of the Low Tox Club. So check that out in the show notes. If you want to join us, literally it can be one or two US dollars a month. It doesn't need to be much. Um, but it's just to hold us accountable and to start to be able to do more and more as it grows and the funds become bigger. I've got some pretty crazy goals and you can see my little video on the Patreon community page to, um, to see what we've, what we've got ahead. So today I'm chatting to the wonderful, um, Rob Greenfield. Now, uh, last week, as you know, we had the incredible founder of the Plastic Free July Foundation, Rebecca Prince-Reese, and we had a really inspiring chat about plastics. And I just wanted to, because it's Plastic Free July as well, and if you haven't registered for that, go to the Plastic Free July website. I'll pop the link to that in the show notes today as well for easy access for you. Um, and I just thought, you know, let's just do one more week on focused on reducing waste. And Rob, obviously, we're speaking in a more holistic sense. We're speaking across life. He's an adventurer. He's an environmental activist. He's a humanitarian. And he's just a dude making a difference. He has a heart of gold. He leads with love. And his message is just wonderful. Um, some of the projects you might have seen on the internet over the years, the one where he um, wore what the average American consumes in trash just kept adding the pieces of trash to his person over the month. So it became like this trash suit. And um, and so it was kind of like an active waste demonstration, walking and wandering around the streets of New York City. I think it weighed 60 kilos by the end of the month. Anyway, we talk about it in the show today. And, uh, and I just am really inspired by the way Rob... Um, pushes his own boundaries, gets over his own um, ego attachments and what will people think of me to, to make a bigger statement about what we're doing to our beautiful planet and to our health. Uh, so I really hope you enjoy this chat. It was wonderful staying up very late one night to catch Rob and bring this show to you. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to wait any longer. It's You're going to just catch the infectious uh, nature of Rob's wonderful enthusiasm. And and I, I haven't looked at some of the things that I've wasted since we've talked, I think, which was about a week ago now, um, in the same way. And I've already tightened the belt on what we do at home. And I'd love for you to share some comments about what you're inspired to do. I'm actually currently researching a sprout garden and growing my own sprouts in enough quantities that I need. Um, as someone who wants to keep my inflammation down, sprouts are incredible for that. Uh, and we've got the inflammation e-course um, coming up soon. So keep your eye on that. Um, and yeah, so I just thought, gosh, sprouts are the one plastic filled 
item that I buy that is still beautiful produce, organic, amazing, but packed with plastic wrapping all the time. And I go through three, four, five packets a week. So that's my big project um, to up the ante on how much plastic waste I produce. And, you know, you can't help but start thinking and getting ideas after hearing someone like Rob speak. So enjoy the show and please feel free to share comments or come join us in the club for the conversation around Plastic Free July that we're having this month as well. I'd love to see you there. Hey, Rob, how are you? Good. Well, I was going to say good morning, but <laughs> good good night over there. I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. And who knows when everyone's going to be listening to this. So it could well be morning, night, whatever. Um, uh, yeah, things are good. I've had a really uh, interesting day and uh, I was just preparing for our um, catch up before and was actually just looking on your Instagram feed and I saw that yesterday you planted some fruit trees. Tell me about that. Yeah, yesterday we planted nine fruit trees. They're community fruit trees, which are fruit trees that are available for anyone to pick from. We plant them on uh, the, the little strip between the sidewalk and the road, in front yards, churches, community centers, community gardens, anywhere where literally anyone from the community will have access to them. And yesterday was um, right at a church, and we put nine in, and that's our 109th tree over the last about two months. And uh, this, this, this church um, is a friend of mine who's the pastor, and her goal is to make it an example of what you can do with a churchyard and how you can feed your community and make it a more sustainable, healthy, happy place. How beautiful. And is this part of a wider initiative, um, this, this fruit tree planting? Yeah, well, I mean, my, I guess, initiative overall would be to try to use my time on earth to have as positive of an impact as I can, to help other people be happier and healthier, to help people to live more sustainably. And what I mean by sustainably is ultimately cause less destruction to the earth, to the other species we share the earth with, and to humans as a whole. And uh, fruit trees are just one part of that. They're a beautiful, you know, beautiful way to to add value to our communities and uh, really open people's eyes up to the fact that wow, fruit can literally be growing right outside <laughs> our doorsteps. We don't have to go to the grocery store, and we can plant a tree that might cost thirty dollars and then produce thousands of dollars worth of fruit for years to come. It's so true, isn't it? And we're so disconnected from nature. And so it feels so inaccessible sometimes, especially for people in an urban environment. But then you just go ahead and plant a few trees that bear fruit and you're like, well, actually it's not inaccessible at all. It's just about rethinking the way we connect with nature and nature being edible around us. It's not something we're used to in cities, but you guys over in the States and us starting to here as well are starting to have some really exciting urban examples of bringing food into the cities, food growing into the cities. We've got the beautiful Pocket City Farm. If you're ever down in Sydney, you'll have to go meet those guys um, and some some really cool initiatives. So, that yeah, when I saw that on Instagram, it just made me smile this group of people in the sunshine planting fruit trees. It was like, yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's, that just makes way more sense. It really does make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. And so something that I find interesting about your story is how, um, I guess, 
forthcoming you are with the fact that you weren't always so sustainably minded, but they were always like little hints of it. And I totally related to that because I was very similar as a teenager. I was, you know, still out there partying, doing all those things, but I, you know, had murals in my bedroom that I had painted that were, you know, had prejudices, ignorance written on them. And I had a Greenpeace membership and I would always try and recycle with my dad and go on ocean cleanup runs and not runs, walks um, for anyone that knows me, knows I don't run, but so I don't want to tell a fib. Um, but, um, but when I was reading about you and your college years, you really share that kind of story of, um, of being a, a huge party guy, but at the same time, these little hints. So what were some of the things that you were doing way back then uh, that that sort of maybe were the, the planning of the seed for what you would then go on to do? Um, yeah, so, yeah, well, I guess that, that's the thing. So, I mean, to give that background, that for a for the longest time, I didn't really think about the environment, certainly hadn't thought about planting fruit trees, and really just was disconnected to the fact that the human race is a part of the environment, that my actions as an individual had an impact on the environment. It was kind of like this separate idea. There's humans, and then there's the environment. <laughs> and, and even studying biology and aquatic science in university for four and a half years uh, and getting a degree in that, there was still that total separation of, like, I don't remember in that four and a half years at university, there really being that strong connection in our classes that this is biology, but we are a part of all of it. And everything that we do impacts and sends ripples throughout everything that we're studying here. Yeah. So there was that large disconnect. Um, so for about 10 years of my life, from mid-teens to mid-20s, my life was very focused on, I wanted to be you know, very wealthy, I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30 years old, I, I wanted to have that nice shiny car and nice big house and that nuclear family idea. I was kind of chasing that American dream, um, partly because I didn't have that growing up. I grew up super low income, single mom. Uh, me and my three siblings in a little duplex with two bedrooms, really crappy car. And I just, at that time, I hated it because mm. I felt different from everyone else. And so I just wanted to be normal. Um, during that time, my mom was actually living in, in many ways an environmentally friendly life. We were semi-vegetarian, ate a lot of pretty healthy food, lots of fruits and vegetables. We recycled. We, you know, My mom conserved energy and water, largely because it saved a lot of money but also because she cared about the environment and generally taught us to just be nice, like not, you know, not harm anything that for no reason. And yeah. so, so ultimately, you know, I kind of grew up with that background. And then what happened was one of the realities is that because I saw, I saw those things going along with being poor ultimately. Yeah. Like for example, my mom used glass jars I went to all my friends who were rich and they had plastic Tupperware containers. So mm -hmm. I thought glass jars are for poor people. Plastic Tupperware is for rich people. And so one of the reasons I got away from all that, any care of the environment was that I was trying to emulate the average American lifestyle, which is pretty consumeristic and generally shoots for convenience and like caring about the earth falls by the wayside. 
Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? That equation of like having uh, plastic makes you a wealthy person and wanting to conserve energy, water is seen as frugal. And I think that was really part of um, capitalism's big sell in the early days, I think, you know, like, oh, no, don't be one of those people that needs to do those things. We've got this now. And, you know, that was those beginnings of those marketing messages, creating problems and solutions to those problems that we didn't even know we had. And now it turns out they weren't even problems to begin with. And we didn't have to go down the road of huge suds for our um, washing up and all the crazy things that we were convinced we needed. Yep. Uh, crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, four years ago, you were still living a pretty conventional, but very, very, um, like low waste life. And you were still in an apartment and you were in, I think it was California at the time, right? Yep. I lived there from 2011 to 2015. Yeah. And I remember seeing this awesome little YouTube video that you did taking people through that apartment and, and how you were living in your closet because you'd found a way to angle your mattress so that you could live in there and it was actually all you needed. Uh, it just made me smile ear to ear um, because what I saw from that was just someone really, you clearly want to explore what the extremes look like to, to almost help us peak curiosity um, but at the same time to push yourself to see like how far can you go with this and I really love that both of those things happen on your journey and you share so outwardly. Um, can you share a little bit for people who may not have seen that video and I'll pop it in the show notes today because it's really awesome to watch. But um, some of your biggest realizations as you made those first big forays into living mega low waste, were there any things that like were really challenging or confronting to you? When it comes to low waste mm. in particular? Yeah. Are you saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's all a challenge because the thing is we're all programmed to live – well, not all of us. Some people never got programmed and they're just – you know, they just, they're just doing great. But most <laughs> of us were programmed to buy, buy, buy and that for every problem there's a convenient solution and for every basic you know, n- human need there is an item that you can purchase for that. Yeah. And so it's very easy to end up with – so many possessions that you can't even fathom it. Um, the average Westerner owns something like twenty or thirty thousand possessions. Wow! So it's just an it's it's a truly insane amount. And so you know, for me, when I realized, okay, my possessions largely own me. They are taking up so much of my time. They're creating this never-ending rat race of needing to make more money. To pay for things, it was the constant update of the newest, uh, you know, phone and computer. Things breaking because the more stuff you have, the more things it will break. Um, insurance for all these things, uh, main, main, maintaining all these things. Uh, a house full of stuff is much harder to clean because there's so many more spots for dust to collect and shelves to move. And so, I realized how much time all of it was taking and. And how much of my freedom all of this was taking away. Um, And all of it was stuff meant more waste too. The more stuff that I had in my life, the more trash that I was creating. And so both minimizing the amount of stuff that I had and then minimizing the amount of waste I was making kind of were inseparable. They went totally hand in hand. And so for me, 
uh, it was, I just said, okay, I have to downsize my life. And what I started to do was I would just go through all of my stuff and I would say, does this add value to my life? Is this making my life better or is this actually a burden on my life? Is it taking away from my life? Is it reducing my ability to really be out there doing what I love? Mm. And so what I did is I would do that and every six months or so I would go through most of the stuff in my apartment um, and just cut in half and cut in half and cut in half until you know, each time it was less and less. And each time it also became easier because there was less to go through. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it was looking at everything and seeing like, does this result in garbage? And just removing from my house everything that was designed in a way that it would produce garbage. And so after a little while, I actually got rid of my garbage can inside the house and I only had one outside which made it a little less convenient to just have a garbage can everywhere. Instead, if I made garbage, I had to walk outside, which made me realize now I could see when I was making garbage. So it was just one of those little tricks for me. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Because that, like, if we make the convenience factors inconvenient, all of a sudden we actually have to wake up to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, something I said um, in my TED talk a couple of years ago was um, the idea that like humans can't even apparently cut a piece of cheese off a block anymore. <laughs> We're incapable. We need easy open liquid cheese. <laughs> Just crazy, crazy stuff. And I do this in workshops and we laugh and like microbeads and stuff and I like rubbing the plastic beads on my leg going wow look at this freshness and just to start laughing because I think laughing means we communally start to realize together instead of you know the preachy guru vibe which nobody loves um and 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 then we actually start to have some really real conversations about how useless some of this stuff is that we seemingly invited with opening arms into our lives Absolutely. And then exactly along lines with that, the other thing that you realize when you go down this path and that was a big, big thing for me was realizing, okay, where is all this stuff being made? Mm. Um, You know, and, and just realizing all of this stuff, all of this really cheap stuff. Well, it's, it's cheap because, because the, because the impact that it has isn't accounted for. So you have people working in really low wage conditions in other parts of the world. Um, you have these factories that are dumping the, the raw sewage and the, and the chemicals that are spewing into the air. And you realize, okay, is that worth me having this little convenient item? Mm-hmm. And, and then the other aspect of it is, am I willing to support these companies that are so willing to destroy the, the earth people and species that we love. And so that's the other part about stopping the amount of, you know, accrual of stuff and then the the reducing of the trash. At the same time, it's about waking up to the fact that these companies basically had tricked me. Mm. And they had tricked me into thinking that I needed all their stuff. And ultimately, I realized, okay, I've been, I've been lied to by all these companies. I don't need this deodorant, this body wash, this different shampoo and conditioner and these 30 different items for (laughs) myself to just simply be able to exist. 
So it was also about uncovering truth, stepping away from the lies and not letting companies get the best of me anymore. Totally. And I think when we play that way, we're like, we're smart. Let's be smart again. Let's actually start to ask, where was this from? How was it made? Who made it? Were they paid well? Do I even know? And something I think really is very interesting um, that you just touched on there around that convenience and, and who made our stuff and chemicals being spewed into the air is like this this week. So it'll be kind of a couple of weeks ago by the time the show goes live. But, um, you know, it came out that the professor was literally hiding research around um, PFOAs and how harmful they were to the community around and the, the health effects that it was having on the community with all sorts of disease clusters and you know and this guy was getting paid so much money to to suppress science and I don't think that we need to feel uncomfortable about uncovering this stuff I think we need to actually just get real with how how this stuff is actually happening in our world and it's just not okay and it can be extremely empowering when you start to go you know what I am going to ask the questions did you ask questions of, um, like, were you someone who started to email companies or research online? Like, how did you go about it in your very first awakenings to, to these convenience messages and breaking them down for yourself? Well, what happened was I, I somewhat stumbled across it, but I don't remember exactly what it was, but I started to watch a lot of documentaries mm. and read a lot of books more documentaries than books and I don't remember like why did I turn on these documentaries but mm. Netflix was a part of it um, the convenience of Netflix might have led me to them or maybe people told me to watch them but I started to watch these documentaries some early ones were Food Inc uh, uh, Earthlings Zeitgeist those were three of the really early ones and then there's yeah. another short film that was called that's called the story of stuff oh I love um, Annie Leonard her work is incredible yeah. hey yeah and that that's a short film that I would recommend to every human being on earth to yeah. watch it I'll is, pop it in the show notes for anyone who hasn't yeah. seen it for sure absolutely and so I just started to wake up one documentary at a time and you know Food Inc for example just realizing wow, look at these companies that are controlling our food and mm. earthlings just seeing, okay, this is the way that we're treating our animals and the story of stuff seeing, okay, this is the process that, that happens in order for me to get this cheap junk, um, at, you know, for me to use at my house uh, and just waking up to each individual thing, uh, the more information that I accrued and then it was a matter of taking action and the good news is that there's so many documentaries that they don't just tell you the problem, but they also say, here's the things you can do to, to help be a part of the solution. And so that's what I decided to do was that I was going to change my life. Mm. And I think that's exactly what was missing, those A to B action steps in the very early documentaries that seemed quite doom and gloom, the very first shout-outs. I still remember seeing Al Gore's TED Talk and thinking, oh, my gosh, like how can I even like start to even think about what I could do for that? But I, I really agree we needed to move very quickly into, okay, and this is what it looks like on a granular level in your day-to-day -day with stuff you can start from right now. And that helps people start to go, okay, we can do this and let's just start here and then start adding things in. And I think um, 
Something that you do, obviously, though, to um, broaden the message with the work you do is you go to some serious, quite uh, sort of project-based extremes, if you like, to illustrate the points around um, how much waste we've created and how easy and freeing it can be to live with less. Can you talk me through at what point you decided you were going to wear all of the rubbish of the average American lifestyle for a month on your person and walk through New York City wearing that rubbish? Like, did it just kind of come to you in a dream? Like, talk me through it. So I'm always looking for ways to to really catch people's attention, sort of shock them and to get them to think about, you know, take a step back and self-reflect on our lives. Yeah. And so because ultimately in a world today where, you know, we're exposed to thousands of different advertisements and pieces of media content in a given day, um, you have to kind of do something to stand out to get your message out there. And yeah. so I'm always, I'm always brainstorming with friends, uh, my partner Cheryl, or just on my own, how can I take this issue and get it to mainstream, get it to people who've never really thought about it before, uh, and then get people who have thought about it before to take it a bit further and ultimately not just think about it, but get people to actually act and do something that really gets people to say, okay, I need to, I need to do something, mm-hmm. not just have knowledge. And so, you know, the average American creates four and a half pounds of trash per day or about two kilos. And over there in the Eastern Hemisphere in Australia, uh, it's not too much different. I was going to say, we're not too far behind. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty similar. And most of Western Europe, pretty similar. So, you know, it's not just an American thing. It's a, definitely a Western thing. Um, so how can I get people to understand how much trash it is? Because four and a half pounds, you know, it might seem like a lot, but it's really hard to visualize it. So I actually was watching Morgan Spurlock's Super Size Me, where he ate McDonald's. I'm mm, sure everybody's yeah. seen it. He ate just McDonald's for 30 days to see what would happen. And so I thought, this is a great way to get people to visualize how much trash they create. I'll live like the average American for 30 days and I'll eat, I'll shop, I'll consume just like the average American, but I have to wear every piece of trash that I create and it'll create this visual where day by day by day I get bigger and bigger and bigger and by the end of it, if I created trash like the average American, that'd be 135 pounds or about 60 kilos at the end of the month and just be a giant walking trash pile and I chose New York City because it's the spot right mm. there where you would just going outside every day, just if I'm going grocery shopping, thousands of people would see me and lots of media would be able to be there to cover it. And so what was it like walking around with 60 kilos? You have to, you know, the funny thing about this is that was actually the most, in, <laughs> one of the most enjoyable months of my adult life. Really? Which is weird to say. Wasn't but it stinky? It wasn't stinky because I was I'm I'm very very uh, OCD about certain things and the thing was I didn't want to create a, a smelly I know trash right monster. I'm like whoa here comes the trash guy yeah <laughs> it would turn people away mm. so I had to get people to like want to be around me so what I did was 
anything that was at all dirty, I would clean it before putting it into the trash suit. And mm-hmm. then food waste, what I would do is I would I would put it in the freezer and then I'd weigh it every couple of days. And then that amount of weight I would add in um, dry rice. So that it oh, simulated clever. food waste without me being without me having to be smelly and moldy mm-hmm. um, and uh but the thing is it was everywhere i went people were just at first because i was just wearing this plastic suit with very little trash in it it was kind of awkward because it was like what you know what's really going on but once i had a lot on it was just everywhere i went everybody wanted to know what i was doing or already knew and imagine new york city it's like 10 million people yeah Pretty much couldn't be outside for more than five minutes without someone knowing exactly what I was doing. And by the end of it, I literally had people chasing me down the street to like talk to me because they were like, I saw you on the news last night. I want to talk to the trash man. And it was like being Brad Pitt except the trash pit. It's a shame you weren't around in the Seinfeld era. You would have made prime meat for Kramer. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was it was really enjoyable. And also the number of people who I just saw their eyes awake and yeah. you touched on this earlier, but I didn't tell anybody what to do. I actually didn't tell anybody that they were doing anything wrong. All mm. I did was simulate the life except I wore the trash, and then if people wanted to hear about it, they came up to me and talked to me. But because of the creative demonstration, I didn't have to tell anybody. They asked me, and then I said, here's what I'm doing, and then you just saw the light bulbs go off in their head. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, my mom says, my mom gave me uh, rules of life when I was 18, and my sister as well. And one of the rules of life, no offense to the beautiful men out there, but it was you will come up with many of the ideas in your marriage, but one of the keys to a successful marriage is ensuring that the man feels like sometimes it was their idea. <laughs> and I take that and I think about that as a um, an encourager and an educator in this space. And I think it's true. We need to set a stage where people get to come up with the idea themselves because it's way more powerful when you set a stage and the light goes off for them and they act independently rather than, you know, the like that diet model of the 80s and 90s where, okay, we're all going to eat this way and, and like everybody tries it for a week and does everything the guru says and then it's all too hard and then you fall off the wagon and then people get guilty, fail, fail, fail. And so it doesn't actually achieve anything if we take on that preacher slash guru um, angle with this stuff. Would, would you agree? Absolutely. And that's, that is ultimately I see as one of the big flaws of so much of any, I mean, any of these movements, whether Mm. it's uh, living zero waste or minimalism or just environmentalism in general or veganism, it's this like black and white Mm. and that there's only one, one right way. And, um, and that, you know, you have to do it this way. And if you don't, you're wrong. Um, but I think that so much of that, what it leaves out is that this is a diverse world of 7 billion people that live in many different biomes and cultures. And you can't just say that like, you know, veganism, for example, I think being a hundred percent plant-based is great, but it, it truly is not for all 7 billion people. And then when, and when you make statements like, um, that, 
period, meat is murder, period, what you're saying is that these entire other cultures, ultimately, they have to die. Mm. Otherwise, they're just murderers. But so that's the, you know, that's the the black and white thing. Yeah, I agree, Rob. And I think, you know, a a certain respect for everybody doing their best within their beliefs, um, preferences and needs um, is, is a much better way to come together and have a conversation around how we can improve things overall by all having a different take on what that looks like at an individual level when we can still all acknowledge, like for the omnivores out there, that regenerative agriculture, for example, is an amazing thing to explore and ditching your factory farmed meat and having a look for the farmers that are doing right by the animals and doing right by the land, sequestering carbon. You know, the Dr. Brunner and Patagonia have come together. I don't know if you've seen this. I'm sure you mm. have, um, to create this regenerative farming certification. And David Brunner, the CEO of Dr. Brunner, is a like a staunch vegan. And yet he still sees like the beautiful benefit of actually creating um, frameworks that everybody can come together, whatever it is, however it is they live and whatever it is they eat and still achieve some incredible things for people, planet and animals. That's amazing. Mm, Yeah, yeah, I actually had not heard of that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, definitely go check it out. I think they popped a – I'll tag you in on on Instagram and um, in the post that he did about it. It was really, really cool. Cool. Um, Okay, so – Something else that I absolutely love that you did was actually before your New York experiment, and I'd love to um, to sort of have a little window into the um, ego confrontation that you made in doing this one, which was when you went on your waste-free road trip and you got on the bike, and while you're in California, it was super easy because there's fresh food everywhere, and then you got out of California and realized fresh food wasn't always evidence. And you realized you were going to actually have to dive into a dumpster for food. And, um, and so you did this premeditated. But I would love to hear, like, how did that feel that very first time? Yeah, well, so most everyone listening's probably heard the term dumpster diving before. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about dumpster diving is it's kind of like, it's kind of cool. Uh, the term dumpster diving is kind of cool. And the amazing thing is, People get really excited about dumpster diving. So um, it's like this super cool movement that us Aussies don't know about. Um, I don't. I don't know if I'd call it a super. It's not quite like a super. Because <laughs> cool when I think movement. of dumpster diving, I think of like a Hollywood movie, and you see the home with sky going into the dumpster to try and find some food, and like okay. that, I mean that's my conjure up in my mind of what that is. But like mm. you, you actually did make it cool. Well. Yeah, I guess for a lot of people, that's the case. No Mm. question. Mm. That is the case, what you just imagined. And they assume that dumpster diving is only for homeless people Mm. Um, and people who, you know, have no other choice. Um, And the reason, I guess the reason I was saying that is because if you use the word dumpster diving in the United States, there's definitely a large number of people where that has kind of a cool connotation to it. Mm -hmm. But if you say eating from the trash now, which is ultimately eating from the dumpster, then it doesn't sound nearly as cool. So it's all and in the marketing then. <laughs> sort of, I guess so. So when I first got started, you know, ultimately it was like, well, what would people think about me if they knew that I was eating from the trash? Yeah. Even though on the side, trash is only trash when we call it trash. If mm. I have 
a perfectly good apple and I put it in the trash can, it wasn't trash two minutes before, it was a perfectly good apple. And the same goes for a perfectly good TV. If I put it in the trash, it's still a perfectly good TV. So trash is almost an element of delusion. Mm. Um, it's only trash once we decide to call it that. Yeah. Um, and there is that saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Yeah, that's a that's a saying that has been used far too many times to write about what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, but, um, I know. I'm just picturing all the cheesy articles. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I added to that. I retract, <laughs> retract. All right, I'll take it. No, I don't mind at all. But anyway, so you know, my ego was definitely you know high up there at the point because not only you know did I worry what people would think about me. But also strategically, I'm trying to make a difference. And so if people think, if people see me eating, doing this whole eating out of the garbage thing, would they take me seriously at all? All the other really serious things I had to talk about, would they take me seriously or would they just say, well, this guy, how can you take him seriously? He's eating out of a dumpster. Mm. So there was the ego and then there was also that. And so when I first started to dumpster dive, um, you know, it was it was to really draw attention to food waste, but I didn't really want to talk about it at first because, um, well, I didn't. Uh, yeah, what would people think about me? So were you in my kind blog, of embarrassed? like, were you just sort of a yeah. bit hesitant to go public with yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So this was back in 2013, and I still had a much larger ego than I do today. Mm. It's my ego has shrunk a lot because, well, you can shrink your ego by working on it, by mm. practicing being humble. Um, and, uh, but so, so I was, I definitely, um, was embarrassed. And so the first dumpster that I ever dove into, I kind of snuck around back, you know, pretty like, you know, cautious, like imagine a little raccoon just <laughs> sneaking around the back of your house. You can see it's kind of cautious, doesn't want you, it, you, you to see it. And I hop in the dumpster and I, and I'm just blown away immediately. I see a dumpster, it's full of perfectly good food. There were zucchinis and there was vegan yogurts and there was um, what was my first ever dumpster treat, which was a still frozen half gallon of ice cream or two liter uh, bucket of ice cream. And I just dug in right there in the parking lot. I didn't have my sunglasses, so I used my – or say sorry, I didn't have my spoon, <laughs> so I used my sunglasses as a spoon. And then basically I just thought, I'm just going to keep looking in these dumpsters. And what I found after that was that dumpster after dumpster after dumpster was filled to the brim with perfectly good food. And for a while, I was quiet about it. But after a certain point, I just said, this is bigger than myself. You know, mm. I'm kind of, I'm uncovering the food waste problem in the United States. And when I say uncovering, I'm not saying I discovered it before anyone else. People have known about this for 40, 40 plus years. But personally, I was uncovering it you know, for myself and just realizing this issue is bigger than myself and I have the ability to to really raise some level of awareness about this. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm I'm really gonna show people what I'm finding and put myself on the line, uh, not worry about the ego thing, drop that aside and just put it out there. Yeah. And something I love, um, you know, we're so visual these days and a photograph can really pierce through to our souls was those amazing arrangements of all the things you found in dumpsters. And I'll pop a couple of those pictures um, in the show notes as well so people can see. But like when you see just this incredibly beautiful, edible, in amazing food, 
that is just tossed. It is just heartbreaking. Absolutely. And so that's the thing is I've realized that a couple of things. One, we're a very visual culture. And so I can put out numbers all day. For example, in the United States, we throw away $165 billion of the food per year B with a B, not million, mm. billion. And that's the equivalent of America's national parks, public libraries, veterans healthcare, the federal prisons, the FBI, and the FDA combined. So wow. staggering. But still, it's just a it's 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 a number, and so it's hard to really understand. Yes. And so what I've realized is that visuals are key, and dumpster diving provides great visuals. That's where I would take, and what I would do is, you know, I wanted to take everyone to the dumpster with me because it's life changing to see it for mm. firsthand. But instead, I thought, well, how can I take this to the public? And that's when I came up with the food waste fiasco, which is where I would collect thousands of dollars with a perfectly good food in a city that I was in, in one to two days, take it to a public park, set it up to create this food waste demonstration so people could see, wow, this is insane. This is like months and months worth of groceries for me. Mm-hmm. For one person, this is enough food to feed hundreds of people. And this all came from dumpsters just within a usually a couple miles of the park where I set up. And that was an opportunity for me to get media to come out. Um, the first time that I did it, I didn't know if it would work, but I was in Madison, Wisconsin, and I think four out of the four news channels came and two newspapers, and that's when I really saw, okay, I found a visual that can tell this story, mm-hmm. and now I can talk about the bigger picture, but I need this visual because that's what media uses, and that's how people it catches people's attention and helps them understand it. Awesome. And we've got this amazing um, woman, Ronnie Khan, uh, in, in Australia who founded Oz Harvest. And she, her company ha- works on a pure volunteers basis of people driving trucks one day a week, two days a week, three days a week. And they pick up all of the food waste. So, um, you know, all the big supermarkets, big function centers, uh, and anyone really who happens to have a lot of food waste can register with Oz Harvest. Um, and so you can say, look, it's the end of our shift here at the convention center. We've got like 3,000 beef sliders um, ready to go if someone can pick them up. And one of the Oz Harvest trucks goes, picks them up and takes them to a shelter so that the homeless people um, get that food. And it's an amazing system. Um, and so I just thought I'd mention it because I'm really proud of such a fantastic Australian example of dealing with the food waste situation. But also I'll pop that in link in the show notes to anyone who fancies donating to such a fantastic cause. Um, and I might hunt down, is there anyone in, in the US who does that um, formally, Rob, that you know of? Yeah, there's. that's the good news. Um, and I've heard of Oz Harvest. They're a great mm. program. Yeah. And the good news is, you know, in the US, there's there's thousands of food rescue programs oh, out there. There's really, cool. there's really small grassroots ones that are just, you know, in one city. Like Boulder Food Rescue is in Boulder, Colorado, and they've they've helped start programs in a handful of cities across the nation. And then, so that's an example of a grassroots one. And then we've got um, Feeding America, which is present in all 50 states. Ah, yeah. And, yeah. and they collect, just in San Diego alone, Feeding America San Diego collects a million pounds of food per month. And they, these are the solutions, not putting the food in the dumpster, instead having mm. programs like this come and pick it up. And they pick up 12 million pounds a year in the city of San Diego alone. 
So Feeding America probably collects um, hundreds of millions of pounds, if not maybe a billion pounds of food or more per year, and that's just one of the programs in the United States. So the good news is the solutions are out there. Mm. Um, and if you want to be a part of the solution to food waste, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to find a solid organization and uh, work with them. Yeah, absolutely. And a little closer to home, wasteless food. And wasteless food. That's the simplest thing we can all do uh, is, you know, the the average person wastes about 25% of their food. And, um, you know, talk about, talk about hypocrisy. If we're out telling these grocery stores, hey, don't waste food, and we're doing it ourselves, that's not really speaking from an empowered place. Empowerment, I think empowerment comes from knowing that your actions are in alignment with your beliefs. And once that happens, you feel this core sense of power where then you're really able to stand up. Like marching, for example. If all you do is go out there and march and you say, hey, these corporations, stop what you're doing. Mm. But you're supporting those corporations. You're not coming from a place of power. But once you are coming from that place of power where you know that you are able to really live out the life that you want, that's when you become a person who companies have a, a harder time dealing with because you're not just some meager person who's telling them to stop doing something, but you really have shown, hey, I don't need you, and I'm going to stand up to you. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the biggest power we all have. When we come together and we say, uh, I'm not going to buy that anymore because of what I've found out is in there. Um, what happens when enough people do that is companies like Mars stop putting petroleum-based food colorings in their M&Ms and people like Hershey's stop using um, GMO sugar beets. Like we really are much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for and I think it's that same thing and you've said it a couple of times now, like the big picture can look really scary but what does it look like on a day-to-day where we actually feel like we can do something and we can always vote with our forks, our wallets, our actions. There's a lot of voting we can do every day. Every day. And that's, and the thing is like, you know, a lot of people feel very overwhelmed by the state of the earth, which is totally reasonable. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> if you don't feel overwhelmed at some point, a little bit wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel overwhelmed right now, so it's good to not always feel overwhelmed. But if you don't have some points of overwhelm, then you're probably living the ignorance is bliss life and not really paying attention to what's going on. But the thing is, so this is the way I look at it, is that is that we are all ourselves. It's the only person that we can be. We can't be somebody else. And we are all in the exact time that we're at the time and the moment that we're in. We can't be in any other moment. We're in our situation. We can't be really in anybody else's situation. So what we have to do as individuals is embrace who we are, where we are, and the time that we are in, and then start there. We can't start at any other point except that point. Mm. And then you have to start by making small changes. So you can't change overnight. And so you can't look at someone else, like if you're talking zero waste, you can't look at Lauren Singer, who all of her trash fits into a mason jar for the last six years. Mm. You have to look at, here's where I am, what steps can I take today? What small steps can I take today? And then 
once you've made that one, then you can do another one, and then you can do another one. And you can create that shift over a period of ultimately years. Because if you try to change everything overnight, there's a good chance you're going to be overwhelmed and maybe fail and go back to the way, exactly the way you were living because it was too much. But if you take it one step at a time, you gradually become the embodiment of the life that you want. And mm. that makes it much more manageable. And also, again, you're building up that level of empowerment. Each change starts to become easier because you're building up that foundation and that knowledge base at the same time. And so that's one of my biggest recommendations is start where you are and start with small changes and build up that change and build up that base of empowerment. Mm. And do you think it's just as important in doing that for people to define what those first changes are for them? So like they really dig into their why on certain things that they're going to start changing? Yeah. So two mm. things to that. One is I recommend choosing what you feel the most passionate about to start with. Mm. So don't feel, don't choose the ones that you feel like you both can't do and that you're less interested in, but you feel like you should do. Mm. Instead, choose the ones that you're truly excited about. Maybe you are just excited about getting rid of plastics in your house, or maybe you're excited about not having chemicals in your life, or maybe you're really excited about, you know, being done with factory farming and starting to eat a more plant-based diet. You know, maybe it's food that really excites you, trying to put in pure foods into your into your body and not toxic foods. So start with where you're the most excited and then branch out from there. That's, mm. you know, one of the big things. And then um, what was the exact question? Because I had a second <laughs> part to that. Um, it was, oh gosh, now you're, cause it was a tangent question. So okay. I just even trying to think of what I said. I guess it's like, um, oh no, I've missed it, Rob. I don't know. It doesn't, it's not, <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> this is the problem when you call yourself the tangent queen, you can just end up somewhere and go, how did we get here? And I don't even know how to get back. <laughs> yeah. Um, to the point of uh, food, uh, you're doing something really cool right now. Um, I feel, uh, I think from the last time we spoke about teeing up this chat, you were like, let's chat around the middle of the year because I'll be way further into this experiment around mm. eating only food that you grow. Is that still happening? It's one small correction. It's grow or forage. Or forage. So, yes. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess when we first talked, that might have been back in January or yes. something like that. And originally, my goal was to start June 1st. Okay. Um, so, I would have started about now. But then what happened is I started all of these other projects. I started community fruit trees. Mm -hmm. We planted 109 community fruit trees so far. I started the free seed project. and We send out 2,000 garden starter kits to people across the United States to help people start their own organic garden that had each each Free Seed Project Pack had about sixty different seeds in it. Oh my um, gosh! How do you fund? Lots. How do you fund that, Rob? So those were funded by a partnership that I made with a, a non a, a charity called uh, Live Like Alley Foundation. They found me and my work and said, "Hey, we want to support you and help you do some more stuff." Mm. So they funded that, and then also at the same time started Gardens for Single Moms, and we started. And as a pilot program, we built five gardens for single moms in the neighborhood and are helping them to grow their own food, organic, healthy food, right in their own yard. 
and then teach them how to cook it and you know all of that and help shift them towards a you know healthier lifestyle and so i started all three of those programs and actually a few others and so that um that actually i can took, see where this is going <laughs> that took so much of my time that i had to put off when i'll start the year of growing and foraging 100% of my food so now that's about october 1st to november 1st is when i'll start but over the last six months, I, at the same time, have been preparing for that project. I've been planting. I've started, I don't know, seven gardens-ish mm-hmm. in the area and just learned an incredible amount. And it's amazing when I set out on this project, looking back at what I didn't know six months ago, like, when do you, how, how do you water your plants? How do you mm-hmm. start seeds? Um, how much sun does a garden need? Like, I didn't know a lot of those very basic things and now um i in the past i had little four by four raised beds like Mm. two of them so that's like one meter by one meter um and i had two of those in san diego and so i'd never really had my own big garden and then i started started this huge garden i turned my friend sarah's whole front yard into a garden and already i'm to the point where we can we can myself and my partner Cheryl and and Sarah you know it's more food than we can eat and there's probably five plus people that like consistently come and eat from this garden Mm. and so I'm already blown away by what you can do when you put just when you literally just put some seeds in the ground it's truly amazing it really is just incredible isn't it like it really is I I helped my mother-in-law with her um garlic uh business that she had a few years ago and she ran it for a few years that she would then go out and um, sell it at all the local markets in her area and just the incredible act of being able to put one bulb in the ground one little clove in the ground and then six seven months later out of the ground comes this incredible bulb with like all these cloves of garlic in it and it like literally would just blow my mind being a part of seeing that happen and I think it would just be an incredible gift for everybody to have to spend some mandatory time with the land. I think we would be a very different world if everybody actually had to go through that connective process. It, it's just, it's truly, um, you know, I feel like it can, it can kind of sound cliche, but gardening in many ways is a miracle. Mm. Like, for example, if I plant one pumpkin with one seed, that then one pumpkin can produce about, let's say, 15 pumpkins from that one vine. Now, Mm -hmm. each of those pumpkins has 100 seeds in it. So now I have 1,500 seeds. And then, so that's enough to start 1,500 pumpkin vines, each of which will produce, let's say, 10 pumpkins. So now you're up to 15,000. So in just two cycles, you now have enough seeds that started for a penny to produce pumpkins for your entire community. Mm-hmm. And when you embrace that, we can become so rich without any involvement with money. We can start to create communities that are so abundant and so rich with food and with health that it is, it's really unfathomable how quickly we could turn around so many of these problems with minimal infrastructure, you know, work, but not an insane amount of work and 
you know, just real effort and dedication. It's it's really just it's astounding what we could do. It it absolutely is. And I actually have a girlfriend who recently moved to uh, an acreage um, up in the Byron hinterland here in Australia, and um, and they ha- they got some pigs last year, and then the pigs obviously trampled the seeds of the compost, and then all of a sudden these pumpkin vines just started growing and growing and growing everywhere as the autumn came in and they didn't even plant them like it wasn't even something they did it was nature at work pigs in their pigness trampling through compost having the time of their lives and then boom you got pumpkins and um she had just been asked by a friend down the road uh, whether she wanted to be part of like a crop swap between a few local properties where everybody grew one or two things and then we all swapped and and um, and made the most of all the produce everybody was growing. And she's like, I don't, I don't have anything. Like I, I'm not a farmer. I don't know how to grow stuff. And then these pumpkins started producing themselves everywhere. And she's like, actually, do we need pumpkins in this thing? They're like, yeah, absolutely. And just to hear these sorts of gorgeous things that happen in communities and, you know, then that means you've got an excuse used to come together with people and catch up regularly and swap food and connect and I mean like it's it's just I mean the blue the the work that Dan Butner has done with the blue zones and and highlighting what over and over again shows us to be the healthiest aging communities in the world um it's it's not rocket science is it it's connect with people you love it's do something meaningful connect with nature um have a sense of purpose and um and and the rest you'll you'll be you'll actually be fine. Yep. And and again it's it's amazing you just have to start somewhere and mm. all, and the thing and it it will come to you like it can be hard to fathom if I look back at my journey starting 7 years ago I couldn't fathom where I'd be today. Um so you just you have to start somewhere and then it just it really just starts to become more imaginable and more achievable as you start to make the little changes it just really it adds up Mm, it really does um okay i've got a, a a big question for you and you may never have really thought of this or you may never have even shared this with anyone yet but like in the next 40 years if you were to just sort of be an 80 year old guy looking back on your life is there a project that you kind of have in your mind that you think, no, that's too crazy. That one's way too big. Like, no, put that away, Rob. Like, I can't even think about something so huge. Like, is there something you want to look back on as an 80-year-old man and think, I can't believe it, but I actually did that? Mm, well, I'm 31, so I'd be 70. Oh, sorry. Yes, you'd 40. be 70. Yeah. I'm just just to set the record straight. <laughs> I'm probably um, just projecting my own age, which is 42. But anyway, okay. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of projects that I want to do, and I know there's no way I'm going to have time to do all of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, as far as something that I'd like to do that I may never do, actually, is I would like to exist as a human being with no possessions and no identification um, for a period of like a couple of years. Mm. And just, you know, and when I say no possessions, I mean nothing. Like people, I've, I've seen time and time again that people have a 
when they think no possessions, they're like, well, I'd still have a wallet, right? I'd still have a toothbrush. Yeah, and Mm. it's like, and and in that wallet, there'd still be like 60 different cards (laughs) and all sorts of things, right? (laughs) And when I say possession, I consider each thing and identification, each driver's license, birth certificate, uh, you know, each card in there would be a possession. Mm. And so the idea of having basically no possessions to start and then maybe getting like a bowl, you know, a few very basic things, but having no identification, that is something that, um, you know, I, I would love to experience. And ultimately it wouldn't just be for myself. Like you said, I like to test the extremes of the human experience, but only if I can be showing something through that. So why do you think that would be useful then? Well, the reason I think it'd be useful is because the human experience of 2018 of the 21st century is that human beings think that you need money to even be alive and to exist as a functioning member of society. And they think that we need all these possessions and we've become, I think, overly dependent. Now, I'm not saying there's not a value in so many of the possessions that we have, but we've become overly dependent on all of these things. And so many of them cause so much destruction. And then also, generally, we're just totally out of touch with ourselves as individuals, our bodies, um, our, our own spirit, you know, our mind. And so I think it would be a way to really just get people to think about simplifying and focusing on what matters in life and, and living in a way that's more in harmony with, with the earth and other species. And so, of course, it's, a, it's sort of an extreme way. So I'm personally testing the boundaries at the same time as uh, being able to really do something that gets people to just stop and be like, wait, you can exist mm. without money? You can exist without all this stuff? And it's really just a, one of those ways to really get people to stop and self-reflect. Mm, absolutely. So it's just basically another one of your crazy experiments to get us all thinking. Yep. And <laughs> here's the problem with it, though. Yeah. <laughs> If you get rid of all of your identification mm-hmm. in the United States, and then from what I've read, so I've gotten my identification down to two things. I have my passport and my birth certificate. Yeah. And using those two things, I could get the other forms of identification back if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But if you have literally no forms of identification, you don't have the requirements to get any, any forms of, of identification. Wow. So you kind of become no longer considered a human being by the government. And so there's examples of if you have a house fire where literally everything is burned and you have, you have no identification, it can take years and years to be recognized as yourself. And if you are born, like there was this girl, the girl with no identity or something, you I don't remember exactly how it was coined, but she she was raised by two parents where um, they they raised her like totally off grid kind of thing. Or I, I'm not positive if they were off the grid, but like they might have had electricity, but in a very sheltered, isolated way. Mm. Um, and basically, when she turned around 18ish, she wanted to get out of there and experience the world, but they never had 
they had never gotten her any form of identification. <gasps> and it took her years to be recognized as a citizen of the United States, which ultimately is a part of this whole thing. It's absurd that we need these papers, the pieces of paper to, 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 to be deemed as existing. Mm -hmm. So that's like really looking back at the foundation of life in the 21st century and how far removed we are from the fact that we are just beings on this earth and we have the right to be. Mm. Wow. That's, that's a pretty big goal. So like you're not even talking just like maybe giving those pieces of ID to a family member and saying, can you just keep these for a couple of years? I just want to test something out. You actually want to go the whole hog mm. and actually remove everything and see what happens at the end. Yeah, because mm. if I'm just storing my possessions somewhere else, yeah, I, still yeah, yeah, own, yeah. I still own those possessions. So yeah. like I, I look at things in a very literal sense. Mm. Um, and so when I say possessionless, that means that I don't have a bunch of yearbooks sitting back at my mom's house, which <laughs> I don't anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. because storing stuff at someone else's house, it's still your possession. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What does your mom think of all this? Well, my mom is, a is very much caring about the environment and, and, uh, or I shouldn't say the environment. That's again, that wrong thing. Like she just cares about the world that we mm. live in humans, other species. Um, and so she, she really enjoys everything that I'm doing. She's had worries from time to time, but she's mostly gotten over those worries. Um, just the worries of like, you know, me traveling the world with no money and stuff like that. Um, but so my, my mom is super supportive and, and definitely really, I mean, she tunes into almost every one of my Facebook lives, and she's oh, no, go mom. Yeah, she's a great mom. I yeah. love, I love having her as a mom, and that's for me. Like the greatest thing about my mom is that all of us kids, she lets us do what we want to do, as and as long as she thinks we're doing what makes us happy, she she's never like tried to force uh, a way of existence onto us, and that's something that. I realize I am so blessed to have had a mom who, who really let us be ourselves and find ourselves because that uh, that's a really powerful thing. It's powerful and it's very brave parenting, I think. Yeah, she, she must yeah. have been pretty brave. I don't think we saw it when we were kids, but, uh, but to be able to it – it's definitely brave to let your kids be themselves. Absolutely, yeah, because as you said, like a couple of times she might have been a little bit scared. Oh, is this – is he going to land in the right place with this? I'm not sure, you know, and you could step in and you could get angry, but is it useful, you know, is it useful to try and, and push a different option on our children once they're adults, especially? No, it's, it's actually not useful. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So um, I'm conscious of the time we're coming to the hour. It's now pumpkin o'clock for me, just past midnight <laughs> here in Sydney. <laughs> And, um, and while I really honestly feel like I could pour myself a drink and we could chat for another hour, I do want to go to bed as well. I'm sorry, Rob. But I have one last question that I would like to ask you just as a way for this to not be an end but a springboard to people's beginnings out there. And that is um, if, you could, if you could just sort of share one or two of the most powerful ideas that you've seen have helped people get going in meaningful, lasting ways with creating less waste in the world, what two little pieces of advice would you give? Um, for creating less waste? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So you have the practical and I'll give like 
like my practical would be um, look at your food. So most of the so much of the 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 trash that we create comes from food packaging. So switching to a more whole food unpackaged diet mm-hmm. is really the biggest is the one of the huge, largest shifts in living zero waste. When you mm-hmm. look at your trash, that's what makes up so much of it for the average person. So finding a local uh, bulk shop, um, a lot of grocery stores have a bulk food section where you can fill up your own and then also eating a more more plant-based tends to go that way because usually meat is more packaged. Mm. Um, and then also growing some of your own food. That's another way to have unpackaged food. So that's a practical one. And of course, there's little things within that. There's ditching bottled water. There's um, you know carrying your own reusable container so that if you get leftovers at a restaurant, you can take it with you. There's all sorts of little elements within it. But basically, uh, trying to eat an unpackaged diet would be the practical one, and then um, you know a less practical, l- like less of that like direct action, and more of a little bit broader would be question everything. Everything that you're going to buy, ask yourself: Do I really need this? Will this add value to my life? Will this make me a happier, healthier person, or could this possibly detract from my life? And once you do that, you start to realize you just need a lot less stuff. And the less stuff you need, the less likely you are to make trash. So that's a bigger picture. Everything you do, just look at it and say, do I really want this? Will this make me happier? Will this make me healthier? Is this the best way for me to be spending my money? Or could I be spending it on experiences and making the world a better place? What a beautiful note to finish on. Rob Greenfield, what a pleasure having this chat with you this evening, or this morning for you. Um, And I really look forward to uh, sharing all of the links that we spoke about on the show with everybody in the show notes today. And, um, And I wish you all the best for all these amazing projects that you've started this year and for the launch of your Everything Foraged or Grown uh, project which will be happening later in the year so we'll have to check back in next year and see how how it's going absolutely would love to and thank you for all that you're doing alex and for all the consciousness you're spreading and uh I very much appreciate it oh it's gonna take us all we're all needed right yep yeah we are <laughs> thanks rob thank you very much Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action and there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, 
you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Thank you.